Hi, my name's Laura O. I'm an alcoholic and an addict. Um, <laughs> I am an alcoholic. It runs in my family, but I firmly believe that um, I'm an alcoholic because I've got the the um, obsession obsession of the mind and the allergy of the body. Um, I think I was born this way. I've always felt different than other people. Like we hear all the times in the rooms, you know, I always felt alone, even when I was in a crowd, I always felt apart and less than other people. And it's funny, my sister grew up in the same household and she also became an alcoholic, but she didn't have the, the sense of loneliness I always experienced. And for me, alcohol, it let me let loose. It helped me um, form bonds to people. Um, you know, when you're drunk and just you love everybody and everybody's your best friend, that's what alcohol did for me. It, it made me feel pretty. It made me feel like I was as good as everybody else. But um, it turned bad. It turned so bad. Alcohol turned on me. Um, I started drinking when I was in high school and I ran away from home when I was 17 and I went to live in a crack house and it wasn't because I smoked crack. It was because I could go there and do whatever I wanted. I had no rules on me. Nobody telling me what to do. I could drink and imbibe any substances I wanted. And, um, I got pregnant at 17 and I married the father, but whatever love we started the marriage with, um, all the substances we were doing, it, it killed all the love between us. And um, after six and a half years, I, I left him and I went back to my parents with the young child who I was no, no decent parent to. I was always more worried about myself getting drunk, doing what I wanted instead of being a parent. Um, and I still deal with the guilt and the shame of that. But what was it? Two months after I left Mark, I met my, um, after I left my first husband, I met my current husband who's right here in another box. Um, and he loved to drink as much as I did. And it was a match match made in hell because we really, when we drank, I mean, we loved each other. We had a lot of great years. Um, but at the end, we were fighting. We were arguing. Everything was drama. And I thought everything wrong in my life was due to this man instead of it was due to what I was doing. You know, I, I was doing drugs. I was doing drinking alcohol. I was just screwing up my life. And we had a daughter. And um, once again, I was not the parent I should have been for either of my children. And I ended up having this huge blowout where, well, in 2003, things had gotten bad enough that when I got up in the morning, I would slam a beer and I'd have to do it over the sink because I would immediately throw it back up, still cold. But the second one I could keep down and I would do that at 6 a.m. And that would be my day until I passed out at around five o'clock. 
and it was awful. It was horrible. I was down to like 95 pounds and I am not built to weigh that little. I looked sick. I looked damaged and I went to rehab and uh, that, that worked for six and a half years. We stayed sober, um, but we never got a program. We never went to AA meetings. I didn't have a sponsor. I didn't do the steps. So that way of life was, it was not feasible for it to continue. We made school our higher power. And once I graduated from school, I crashed and burned. And we were back to not only drinking, but we were doing every other substance you can think of. Um, and that relapse lasted 10 years. And it just, it blows my mind because just, I turned around and, you know, I was, it's in my late forties and 10 years of my life, just a waste, a complete waste. So um, I ended up having a huge blowout where I was strapped to a gurney and fighting security guards at the hospital and yada, yada, this and that. And um, they ended up strapping me down for eight hours until I sobered up. And my mother came to me and said, Laura, have you had enough? And I had. I was so done with feeling every morning that impending sense of doom just crushing down on me every morning. It, it was paralyzing. Um, it was a horrible feeling. And I wanted no more of it. So I went to detox and they kept me there for two weeks and they didn't do that too often. <laughs> I was a special case because they said I lit up my um, your analysis test, my UA, I lit it up like a Christmas tree and I was so weak. I could hardly walk by myself. My sobriety date is February 14th. Um, 2020. And I don't know for sure the exact day that I actually got sober, but Valentine's Day is the first day I actually have the clarity to remember. Um, I was in that place for a full week without any comprehension of anything that was going on. And when I got out of there, I went to a wonderful rehab in Petaluma for 30 days. And I had a wonderful roommate, this girl named Sarah, 28 years old, full of life, got there the same day as me. We graduated the same time. Um, I learned a lot in rehab and it was thoroughly, I knew going in that I needed a good brainwashing, that I needed it and I got it. And it helped me hold on to a little bit of sanity that was left in me and helped that to grow. Um, so I graduated rehab and I went into a sober living environment, not because I didn't love my husband, but because he needed to figure out who he was. I needed to figure out who I was separately. We were so enmeshed and codependent. And I stayed there at the SLE for three months, but two weeks after graduating rehab, I got word that Sarah, she OD'd and she died. And that was a stark reminder to me that this shit's deadly. We can't play with this. Um, she was a wonderful girl. I mean, a smile that would light up the world and she's gone. 
And that can happen to any one of us. And it's scary and it's sad. But um, eventually I, I went back home and my husband and I were, were still married, obviously. Life is different now. Um, I, I'm content, you know? I don't have that sense of impending doom. I still have problems feeling like I'm less than other people, but I work on that. Um, I got a sponsor. I work the steps. I have commitments. Um, I do this meeting. I do another meeting on Monday. I um, do the AA hotline. When somebody asks me to speak, I say, okay, what time? You know, where, point me in the direction. Um, I need AA. I can't do this on my own. I can't do this without the people in these rooms. I can't do it without the guidance of my sponsor. I can't do it without hearing other people's stories and knowing for sure that I am not alone. Um, if you're new, you know, keep coming to meetings, get a sponsor, work the steps. Um, if you don't hear anything in this meeting that really called to you, you know, go to another meeting. Eventually, you'll hear somebody who speaks to you and get some numbers, get some support. And, um, you know, I said I have a lot of guilt and shame over my kids. My daughter's forgiven me. She's 22, and um, we're very close. But my son hasn't spoken to me for three and a half years now. Yeah. And um, he's 30 years old, and I don't expect that to change. I've made my amends to him through chat because that was the only way he would, the only way to get a message to him. And he hasn't accepted it. And, but that's something I have to accept and sit with, and he will come back when he's ready. But anyways, um, yeah, keep coming back. And thank you guys. Hi, I'm Erin. I'm alcoholic. Thank you so much for having me here tonight. Um, what an honor. And 2737. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's 2737. It was one of those. I know. So congratulations. Congratulations to your time. Congratulations. Laura, you're going to be too soon. That's exciting. Very, very exciting. Three, and I can't calculate time at all. See how bad I am? I'm terrible. I got it all mixed up. Um, I love your story. I, I want to hear more. So next time you get to share more, let me know, because it would be great to hear. Your and my story are so parallel. It is crazy how parallel we are. I married the first guy I dated. <laughs> uh I do not have any kids though. Uh, but yeah, near the end of my sobriety, I was probably about 95 pounds as well. And my friends called me crack horse skinny. <laughs> Insane. Um, I, I did not though, um, uh, ask to be put into a padded room. Uh, cause I knew that's where I would end up being. If I did tell anybody all the insanity that was in my head, cause I had a lot of insanity in my head and, um, and, that that essence uh that 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 deep self-loathing of guilt and shame 
that just completely overwhelms us uh, that you spoke of. I had that too. I had that too. It would absolutely, the thing that keeps me in these, this program is remembering what that felt like. Thank God for the, the time that I had with it because I drank in order to not feel that feeling. You know, I did whatever I could to not feel that because I didn't want to feel. Um, but having, you know, being in my own skin and, and having to write an inventory and <laughs> feel things, I got to feel that. And that is something that uh, terrifies me because I know for me, that is the epic essence of alcoholism. You know, I know that alcoholism will take me there. And, um, and what it'll do is that decal? Yeah, but it's warm. Thank you. Um, I, I don't want caffeine right now. <laughs> um, so yeah, that that is what terrifies me and and keeps me in these steps because this is a progressive disease. From what I understand, is progressive disease. It's a little bit about me, guys. Thank you again for having me here. Very excited. Oh yeah, the other thing, I don't know my sobriety date either. I really, I have no idea. So we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll figure that one out here in a second. Uh, but yeah, a little bit about me. I didn't grow up in a alcoholic home, right? Uh, any of you have heard my husband's story. He's got 30 years of sobriety. Amazing, amazing sobriety. Kicks my butt on a daily basis, which I need. I need that. Um, and and he, ha he had chaos chaos growing up you know practically had alcohol in the womb for goodness sakes uh we found out too uh his mom smoked when she was pregnant with him as well and you know just all kinds of stuff which is just so crazy so that was the kind of environment he was brought up in and, you know and you would look at his story and you think yeah of course you drank <laughs> right why wouldn't you you know, having two refrigerators dedicated to mostly alcohol and some food right? Uh, was not my case at all. Uh, completely opposite side of the spectrum when it comes to this thing called alcoholism. I was not brought up in that kind of environment. There was not alcohol in the house. In fact, it was uh, looked down upon to drink. Right. My, I was a very religious family I was brought up in uh, and it was. Uh, because some of the stories out of the Bible, right? You know, Noah saved, you know, planet Earth, whatever. Big old, you know, flood happens because there's too much drinking going on. Drinking and a whole bunch of sex, right? Uh, so God comes down and destroys everything with a big old flood. And what's the first thing Noah does? He makes grapes to get drunk and screws around. <laughs> so, so drinking's bad. <laughs> um. So it was something that we just did we didn't do in the house. Uh, so I wasn't familiar with that at all. But I agree with you, Laura. I agree with you a hundred percent. I think I was born an alcoholic anyway. You know, it doesn't take alcohol for me to be an asshole. It does. It does not take alcohol for me to be self-centered. It does not take alcohol for me to be self-will run riot. And these are all the aspects of basically alcoholism and what we try to unroot and destroy even 
right? Uh, page 14 out of our big book says simple. The steps are simple. They're not easy. They're <laughs> simple, but not easy. A price had to be paid. It meant the destruction of self-centeredness. And I was one of those that was completely self-centered from the very beginning. So yeah, it didn't take alcoholism for me to be self-centered and want to use you to get what I wanted um, at, at whatever cost it took, right? And even in a home that didn't have alcohol in it, uh, I still was one of those prima donna, self-righteous uh, princess brats that you could probably ever come across. A little angel on the outside and everything like that. I think you're all wonderful and good. But on the inside, I am thinking the worst things about you. <laughs> and how can I get away with making your life a living hell? <laughs> it's just evil. Just evil. <laughs> um, So I, I live that way in a complete delusion, thinking that I'm, you know, wonderful and this amazing little thing with the screaming going on in my head telling me how imperfect I am and how much of a failure I am and how much I can't uh, seem to get this thing called life. Why can't I make any friends? Uh, why don't I get along and why am I not a part of? Right. I'm trying to do everything that I'm told and I was taught to do and it's not working and I'm miserable. I'm unhappy and I hate you. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, Fast forward, right? I had this amazing attitude uh, all the way through. And no wonder nobody wanted to date me when I was younger, right? So I didn't actually date anybody until I was about 17. And uh, trying to follow the rules of, of, I would say life, except they're really only my parents' rules. Uh, <laughs> I didn't have sex until I was married, right? And you can't get married until you're 18, so I got married at 18 in order to have sex. <laughs> Where's the logic in that whatsoever? Well, from what I was taught, that was logical. <laughs> so this is the insanity that I'm actually brought up in, right? I have no idea what reality is. I have no idea what the world is really like. And I have these tools that are telling me and, you know, just crazy made up stuff. And I come up with conclusions like... Um, what is it? Oh, I can't watch Scooby-Doo because it has ghosts in it. Therefore, ghosts are real and ghosts are bad. <laughs> Not at all the lesson my parents were trying to teach me, but that's how it came across, right? So, and, um, can't have sex until I'm married and you can't get married until you're 18. Therefore, first guy ever sex, you know, gets married and, and then it's just in order to have sex. I mean, that's the insanity of what I was piecing together in order to get what I wanted out of what I thought I needed to do it as. Nuts. Absolutely. <laughs> it just is. So I live this insane, crazy life like that, where I'm trying to fit and conform what I want into the rules that I'm given and taught by, by my parents and society. And this is the outcome that I'm getting. Uh, so 21, though, what do you do at 21? Well, follow the rules. You can have your first drink at 21 because now you're responsible. <laughs> Far from it, if I being responsible, of course. <laughs> I'm 42. I'm still working on that. <laughs> being responsible. Who knows what that's all about? So, age 21, I had my first drink. 
Now, I've heard a lot of stories, again, like my husband's story. You try off a little bit. Honestly, he tried off a little bit, you know, before the age of one. But <laughs> but uh, I was not one of those that just tried a first drink, right? I mean, once I was dry, I was a dry drunk for 21 years. I was absolutely miserable and insane, and I needed a drink. I had no idea I needed a drink, but when I had that first drink, oh my God, it was the best thing ever. Like all of the confinement and all of the guilt and shame of trying to live up to being confused about life, not understanding why I didn't fit in with all the rules that I was given, trying to follow, trying to get what I want, trying to be happy, trying, you know, all of these things all of a sudden didn't matter. It just suddenly I was happy and it was awesome. And so of course I had to have another one. And of course two was not enough. And of course, why stop at three? It's my birthday, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> so my first drunk was quite a few and projectile vomiting and <laughs> blackout and the worst hangover I'll probably ever remember. That's not true. Um, I've definitely been able to trump that hangover many times over. Uh, but that that was my first my first experience. And and there were absolutely no consequences whatsoever. Right? It was my birthday. I got a pass. Everybody loved it. They thought I was being cute. So why not go for it again? Right? And that is how I drank. Like, it was on. So even though my drinking career may have been a short career, it was hard. It was, uh, I, I did shots so much for mixed drinks. Those don't get me drunk enough. Like I want it as you know, as fast and as hard as possible. And, and I have learned how, I mean, there was even one time I would, <laughs> I didn't have a whole lot of money. And I was hanging out with the girls, right? So I couldn't exactly whore myself out for drinks because um, I had to, you know, at least hang out long enough with them. Uh, I would hold a shot in my mouth for as long as I could in order to get as drunk as I could off of it before. <laughs> I mean, these are the wonderful twisted things we try to do. That was one of them for sure. Um, and I... So I would go about drinking like that and or or worse, right? But like I had mentioned before, I was I would try to get a guy to pay for my drinks, right? Because drinking that much gets really expensive, especially if I want good stuff that doesn't get me so hungover the next day. Um and and that's when we start crossing that line. Right. Once I threw everything out the window because I don't care anymore, where do my morals go? Right. Where does my self-esteem go? Can't have self-esteem if I do, if I'm not doing esteemable acts, if I'm not doing things I'm proud of. How can I have any kind of confidence? How can I look myself in the mirror and think, yeah, I got this. This is awesome. When I look at my, everything that I'm waking up next to going, what the hell did I just do? Right. Or coming to in a situation where I'm like, I can't stop what I'm doing right now or I'm going to get killed. 
right? These are the things that this alcoholism takes me to. What alcohol takes me because I can't stop. I don't just have one drink. Having one drink is torture. Are you kidding me? Having that, just that one shot, holding it in my mouth for as long as possible? Are you kidding? I certainly went out and I'm sure I did something to go get another drink. Right? I don't remember. <laughs> I had a lot of blackouts. <laughs> but this is this is how this is how I drink. When when I take a drink, that phenomenon of craving kicks in and there is nothing that's going to get in my way of having another drink. And then what happens after that? I lose all faculties. I have no idea. Yet I have to get up every day and look at myself. Of course I hated myself. Of course I couldn't stand it. Of course I ended up actually having a conscience. <laughs> Thank God I have a conscience or else I would not be sober. <laughs> but I have a conscience that sits there and nagging at me, telling me this isn't right. I shouldn't be living like this. And then that triggers everything else. It tells me how much a failure I am, how much I suck at life, how much I, you know, I can never do this. There's nobody to talk to. You're all alone. You can't go, you can't go back to the church because you've already rejected that. It didn't work for you. You can't go back to your parents because they'll think you're disgusting, right? You've, you've already cheated on your boyfriend and the last one before that too. So, you know, good luck talking to them about anything. You don't have any good friends that will ever understand you. You have nobody. You are alone. You have failed at life. Go kill yourself. That's where my drinking takes me. It's terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. And I don't want to be there. I don't. But I did not have enough No, I had way too much <laughs> pride and ego to ask for help. Charlene, awesome that you're here, that you're actually in a meeting right now. That is kick-ass because I couldn't. I couldn't make it into a meeting. I had way too much ego to get into a meeting and ask for help. Mm -hmm. Right? AA found me in a bar. I'm so, so grateful that we carry this message to the still suffering alcoholic, no matter where we're at, because I didn't know how to find a meeting and I didn't know how to ask for help because I knew that if I went into a doctor and told him about the crazy things in my head, trying to kill myself, that they put me on suicide watch, probably pop me full of a bunch of pills that made me drool and then put me in a jacket that made me hug myself. Right. And I didn't want that because I wasn't crazy. <laughs> Delusional. <laughs> Denial. <laughs> All those wonderful things that chapter three talks about. Me. <laughs> Definitely all about me. The hand of AA showed up for me and it didn't show up to tell me I had to stop drinking. Because alcohol gave me the reprieve that I needed one day at a time to not kill myself. Right? It let me not feel me long enough that I could survive one more day. And when 
when Alcoholics Anonymous showed up for me, they showed up for me in a vision of hope, friendship, and sanity. Oh, and integrity, except I didn't know what that meant yet. So <laughs> it was there. It was just one of those anomaly things that I was like, ooh, what's that? <laughs> what's integrity? <laughs> um, and I listened. I listened to this person that was letting me know that the insanity in my head, that there was a way to get out of it because that's what I craved. I didn't actually care about alcohol. It was that I cared long enough to, to know that I was insane and that I wanted sanity. So I luckily already had a craving for step two. I wanted sanity. So when somebody came up to me and told me that there was a way out and how they did it, I followed that direction, not knowing what it actually was. And it came to me in the form of, uh, can you write a journal? <laughs> I hate journals. No, I don't want to write a journal. Yeah, that's what I did. If you write down all the crazy in your head, I'll help you through it all. And we'll figure out what are the causes and conditions of what all the insanity is in your mind? I said, okay, that, that, that sounds doable. And so I did, I started writing, um, you know, all the things I was pissed off at go figure. That was my first resentment list. <laughs> you couldn't tell. I, I was so lost in my head. I didn't understand what resentments were. All I knew was write down what you're pissed off at. <laughs> That's how simple it had to be made for me. So I did. And this person, this amazing person that showed me respect, showed me what true friendship was and showed me what hope that there was hope. Even in me, even in a lost person like me, I had hope. How to actually face the screaming that was going on in my head. And where it was all coming from and why. And we got to identify these things and look at it for what it is. And I got to see how, you know, all the things that I thought I was taught from before that led me so wrong in a way that, you know, I would do something like, you know, marry the first guy just so I could have sex with him. Type of ridiculous ideas. Where they came from and what I was doing to twist things backwards with my alcoholic brain. And I got to, you know, we call it uncovered, discovered, discard, right? We uncovered what all that was making me have all that guilt and shame, discovered what it all was about. And then did I want to keep that stuff? Well, no. Once I was able to write it down and look at it on paper, it was repulsive to me, right? I don't want that stuff. That's the essence of step six and seven. I don't want it. Cool. Guess what? There's this higher power that can take care of that for you. Okay. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> I don't have to. <laughs> right? It was awesome. And then do I want to behave that way anymore? No, I said it was repulsive. Okay, cool. Well, you have to do something different now. You can't not do anything. Right? And you can't keep doing what I was doing before. So what do I do now? Well, like I said, this person showed me how they behave differently. What did they do instead? Right? 
buy my own drinks instead of letting my body buy them. <laughs> um, get fired from my job that was sexually abusing me on a daily basis and go get a legitimate job. Things like that, you know, different behavior. These are the things I got to do. And mentioning having a self-esteem. Right? We only get a, a self-esteem when I start to do esteemable acts. That's part of steps eight and nine. Right? I didn't have to go back and say I'm sorry to, you know, any of the people that I may have ripped off at one point. Or those one night stands that, you know, I hardly even remember, don't even know their name, right? Go back to them, sorry, I used you, <laughs> right? <laughs> no, it's, how about don't do that anymore? How about respect other people and not use them like that, right? That's an immense. And these are the things I got to do. And slowly, slowly but surely, right? It, kind of, it really hurts in the beginning, and I get to feel all of that in the beginning. But as I get the relief that comes with changing my behavior, I start to heal. My soul starts to heal. The guilt and shame starts to ebb away. And I can look myself in the mirror, and I can go, wow, I'm doing something different. This is, this is really cool. I can start to love myself. This is nice. I like this. I like me. What is that? That's pretty cool stuff. Right? But what's really awesome is it doesn't stop there. I mean, it's kind of a caveat, right? I mean, we don't just get through this thing and then go, yay, we're done. Ta-da! I got through everything. Guess what? Life still happens. <laughs> and I'm still human. <laughs> And I will never be perfect. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> as much as I would like to be, it's not going to happen. But our 10th step, what it talked about, the beauty of the 10th step is that it's four through nine combined. The first time I go through four through nine, it's huge. It's this amazing, terrifying experience. It's like, oh my goodness, what are we going to do with all of this stuff? Because I've got like a whole lifetime of chaos and guilt and shame I have to drag into this inventory and put it all out on the table in front of a sponsor and just like regurgitate my soul and just be like oh god look at all this disgusting crap right and then we get through and you go oh that feels a whole lot better and then tomorrow happens <laughs> oh man I'm human what what just happened What's beautiful about the 10 step is it allows us to be able to take all of whatever happened today through that same process for today, right? I get to look at myself and I get to identify some of the things that are still bugging me or some of my bad, you know, personality traits that happen, right? I get to continue to grow. It's not a one done, finished, thank you, let's get out of here situation, right? No spiritual solution has ever been that way. Thank, thank goodness. Because it, it wouldn't mean a whole lot if it was that easy. It honestly wouldn't have so much of a value to it, to me, if it were really that easy to get. Once it's earned, 
I got to keep it and I got to work to keep it. You know, I'm still human. I still make mistakes. Last year was a year of me completely lying to my sponsor. Who who knew the whole time? I mean, I mean, when you know a liar, you know a liar, right? <laughs> Waiting for me to cop to my jit. <laughs> and I um, and that's because I stopped taking intense steps. Right, I stopped being honest with myself and honest with my sponsor, and those old behaviors started to come back. Right? This is a progressive disease. My alcoholism is not waiting outside the meeting doing push-ups. Whatever the hell that means. No, it is right here with me learning everything that I learned. In AA. Cunning, baffling, powerful. That That is what alcoholism is. Right? It twists things around in my head thinking that... Scooby-Doo is bad because ghosts are bad, right? <laughs> that's, that's how backwards things can be in my head. That's not reality, though. So it tells you cartoons are real. Yeah, cartoons are real. <laughs> <laughs> I get a daily reprieve from this. That is what our big book says. I get a daily reprieve. And the 10-step promises only happen. My freedom from alcoholism, my recovery, my sanity that happens automatically only happens when I do a thorough 10-step. I can stay ahead of my alcoholism because what I have is a benefit of a connection with a higher power because I do these steps. That's the only upper hand I have my alcoholism cannot get a connection with a higher power sorry it can't I can and I'm lucky for that too I also find myself extremely lucky to be an alcoholic because to be able to reach a spiritual experience 12 step 12 says having had a spiritual experience as a result of these steps meaning it's a promise it is going to happen if I do these steps, how awesome is that? Who else is guaranteed a spiritual experience? Honestly, who? I don't know of any other wonderful spiritual, you know, axiom out there that guarantees you're going to have a spiritual experience. It's like, well, it's kind of up to you on how you want to show up for this. And it is the same way, you know, how much are you, are you going to have measure this? Because it's going to avail you nothing. You either do this and this is what you get, or you don't, and you get nothing, right? Having had a spiritual experience as a result of these steps is a beautiful thing. Absolutely. And I get to have that because I'm an alcoholic. Yay! <laughs> I love it. Absolutely love it. But yes, like I was saying, I have to do it absolutely rigorously honest, as the book says. I did not. I will admit. I have to admit because I have to be rigorously honest. Out of my experience, I was not rigorously honest. 
and it slowly ebbed away at my at my ability to to be of service to be there for my husband my self-centeredness started to come back it was not destroyed it started to rejoin itself like a cancer in my soul I started becoming much more of a jerk again and my bad behavior started to rear their ugly head thank god my sponsor caught me before i drank because that's where i was headed absolutely where i was headed and said get your head out of your ass and do your 10th step stop lying to me and i had to to save my life right this has been an amazing experience for me to be able to honestly look at myself and say no i really need to do this on a regular daily basis if i really want to get and continue to get you know that that growing and and understanding and that spiritual experience on a daily basis to get that connection with my higher power so that I can feel more than whole, right? Feet firmly planted in midair rather than feeling like I can barely breathe eight feet under. I love that spiritual experience feeling, but I've got to chase it as hard as I used to chase alcohol, right? I have to be there. I have to make a first in my life in everything that I do, make the time to do my morning prayers, make the time to check my inventory, make the time to show up, make the time to search my head and pray that I'm being rigorously honest. I have to do that or else I rest on my laurels and I'll slack off. And my alcoholism is cunning, baffling, powerful. It'll find its way in. I cannot afford to give it that option. I cannot. I have got to grow in this thing. Because my life does depend on it. And I'm with you, Laura. I get it. My life depends on it. And guess what? There may be other lives that depend on me. It's, it sounds crazy to me. To think there may be lives that depend on me. But we're all in this together. This thing called life. Some way or another. We are all meet up together. However it goes. And if I can continue to show up. In the way that God wants me to show up. My higher power wants me to show up. Then who knows what's possible. And I want to look for that. I want a higher calling than just I'm a lump on a log alive for today for some reason. (laughs) I like the idea of purpose in my life. I like the idea that I could help somebody else. I like the idea that I can bring love and joy into others. I like that idea. It makes me kind of feel good. It didn't always. I had to learn that one. You know, but once I stop, you know, being so self-centered and getting my head out of my butt, it kind of actually does feel good. (laughs) And more ways than one, too, right? 
when we get to do this thing and we get to share love, we get to share, you know, you can't transmit something I haven't got. It only means I can transmit the things that I do have. Therefore, if I have self-hate, self-loathing, and all that grossness, that's all I'm sharing with you. But if I can get rid of all of that by doing my inventories, taking care of it, being in connection with my higher power, being rigorously honest with my sponsor, then I get to share you the benefits of what I get to have. Which, oh, okay. Um... For me, I there's so many practices, principles in all our affairs, right? How many of these amazing principles do we get out of this program? We get love, honesty, mercy, lots of mercy. My husband knows mercy really well after last year. <laughs> He's amazing, this guy. Absolutely. I'm trying to learn how to accept his mercy. <laughs> Mm-hmm. and forgiveness right one of the biggest things i gotta learn right now forgiveness is i gotta remember how and and learn how in my heart of hearts how to forgive myself after the mistakes that i've made in sobriety which seems to hit a lot harder <laughs> than the ones that i've made before i got sober <laughs> Because if I don't learn how to forgive myself, I will never learn how to forgive you for being human. And that's not fair to you. It's not fair to my husband. It's not fair to, you know, anybody else around me who may harm me because they will. Because they're human. It's going to happen. So what am I going to do? Hold it against them? Judge them for that? If I do that, I'm back at resentment. Mm -hmm. And for me, having a resentment is to die, is what the book book says. Right? I can't afford it. I think that's my lesson for this year, definitely. I got to learn that forgiveness. So that I can give everybody else that deserves forgiveness, that forgiveness. I think that's a beautiful thing because I know it can be done. Because my husband gives that to me. <laughs> He's a great example of this program. And if he can give me forgiveness, then I know it's possible. Because I know that the only way he has that forgiveness is because of these 12 steps. Simple but not easy. Absolutely. Oh, and a quick note before I finish up here real quick. Why I don't know my sobriety date. <laughs> um, I was drunk. <laughs> when I started working the steps, I was actually still drunk. Right? I started working them in around November of 2009. And, uh, and like I said, I had to, I had to uh, get fired from a job that was sexually abusing me. And so I did that and turned around to get a legitimate job. And I could not actually get a legitimate job until April of 2010, because that's when I could pee in a cup clean. We counted backwards, flipped a coin, and landed on February 12th of 2010. <laughs> so that is where we guess is the last time I had any kind of substance. <laughs> so that is where my sobriety uh, 
probably most likely is that and that's what we celebrate to this day thank you all so much for having me laura thank you for asking me to be here so um tonight i really appreciate it and uh you all have a wonderful night